Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Welcome and thank you for joining us for ASHP's Wellness Wednesday podcast. This podcast is a forum where you can listen in as members share successful strategies on wellness and resiliency in their, both their personal and professional lives. My name is Brittany Tashane, and I'm here with Joe Marciano, and we will be your co-host for today's podcast. This is our second episode in our financial wellness series. For those who listened to the first episode regarding student loans, you will recognize our co-host, Joe, as chair of the NPF Residency Advancement Advisory Group, also known as RAG. Thank you, Brittany. Uh, yes, wellness and well-being has been one of the focuses for our advisory group this year. And in particular, financial stability is a component of well-being that we are so excited to continue discussing today. Uh, we are here again with Dr. Bhavik Shah, who is a faculty member at the Thomas Jefferson College of Pharmacy in Philadelphia, where he teaches an entire elective course on finance for pharmacy students. You may also recognize him as the guest speaker on the first episode of our Financial Wellness Podcast series. And for more information on Bhavik's path, please be sure to check out episode one. In addition to that, it also has some excellent information with respect to student loans and how to manage those. But today we are so excited to be here to discuss more about financial wellness. Thank you again for joining us today, Bobic. Hi, Joe and Brittany. Thanks for having me here uh, for today's podcast. I'm happy that we can do a series on these topics. Absolutely. The pleasure is ours, and we are very much looking forward to the conversation. As a reminder to the audience, we are building this series based on topics that you and your colleagues have expressed the most interest in. And after polling new practitioners, as well as discussing the areas of personal finance that they were most interested in, we have established today's topic as preparing for retirement. I'm happy to see new practitioners are interested in learning about the fundamentals necessary to prepare for retirement because the best thing that new practitioners have going for them is time. And so getting it right up front is definitely a key to success. Yeah, it definitely is an area of interest for me. You know, I found myself looking for resources that help to answer what I consider to be the starting point, at least in my thought process about this topic. And so, Bavik, for our first question of the podcast today, when should we really start thinking about this sort of thing and begin saving for retirement? So before we dive in today and answer everyone's questions, I want to just, you know, disclose that I am not a certified financial planner. I'm not a tax attorney or an accountant. And so, you know, the information that we're going to discuss today is for general education. And I would encourage folks to do their own due diligence before they take any action and to consult with their own tax professional or financial professional before taking action, you know, past performance and in, in investment is not a guarantee for future performance. So again, all investing has risk, again, to do your own due diligence before you take any action. You know, the, the it's really, there's no time like the present. So you want to save as much as you can, as early as you can. And like I was saying earlier, your biggest asset in your 20s and 30s is not how much you save, but the time that you have going for you. And so I think what helps me understand this is examples, because the, the concept of compounding it, we all sort of are familiar with an exponential growth, but it's like sort of hard to sort of wrap your head around. But just think about, you know, if you save a dollar at the age of 25, by the time you hit 65, 
that $1 is going to be, has grown to $15. And, and that's in today's dollar. So it's going to be inflation adjusted. So it's going to have the same purchasing power as $15 today. So that's a huge multiplier. This assumes, you know, an inflation of about two, two and a half percent and assuming a growth of 9.5% on average per year. But, you know, if you delay it a little bit, you know, let's say by a dollar saved at age 30, the multiplier is $9, not 15. And by age 35, a new dollar invested at age 35 grows to $5.75. Again, this is all inflation-adjusted dollars. And as you get older, you were, we're going to assume a, a lower return on your investment because you, you more likely you may consider investing in lower-risk stocks and bonds. So knowing that multiplier, I would say, you know, even if you think that saving a little bit is not going to go that far, it, it can and it will. So the goal is to save as much as you can. Uh, as early as you can and let, let time be on your side. You know, if you can't do 15%, that's generally what's recommended to save for retirement in your 20s and 30s. And that kind of makes sense because folks in this time, you're, you have other goals that you're probably working towards, like especially student loans, like we talked about in episode one, or you're saving for a down payment on a house. You know, it might be difficult to hit, hit that 15% threshold, but, you know, at the bare minimum, I advise anyone to at least save up to your employer match. Uh, a lot of employers give a 50% or 100% match up to like a, a 5 or 6% of your salary. Usually that's free money. And that's going to be, that's part of your salary. So if you, if you're not investing that, at least up to that, you're leaving money on the table because that's a 50 or a hundred percent return on your investment into yourself guaranteed because your employer is going to kick in that amount. And so to me, if you do that, that's going to have a better return than, you know, paying high interest debt, which you should be paying high interest debt, but, you know, 50, hundred percent guaranteed, there's nothing like that available. So make sure at the very least people should be taking advantage of that. Yeah. Wow. I, I think having a quantifiable idea on the impact that saving can have is something that at least for me is a big motivator. And I think that it helps put the value of saving early really into perspective, especially when considering that match that you'd mentioned. I definitely agree with you, Joe, as well. Um, as I am almost a year out of residency, I'm getting a better idea to understand the time-sensitive nature of retirement savings. And especially seeing the math, it also helps to motivate me and emphasize the importance of early savings. Yeah, you know, and I think that that leads really well into the next retirement related topic that many seem to think about, which is how much should I budget or how much do you think, Bobic, should somebody save for retirement? Yeah, if, if you read personal finance books and, and blogs and things, they, they will tell you there's some general rules of thumb. And a good rule of thumb is you should be saving 15 to 20% of your gross income per year towards retirement. There are some that say, suggest even saving up to 25% if you can and are able to manage that. Uh, but if you look at Fidelity's data, because Fidelity is the largest custodian of employer-based retirement accounts, you know, folks in their 20s and 30s, they're saving only 5 to 7% into their 401ks or 403bs. And this doesn't surprise me. This is probably what they're doing. They're, they're saving um, the average 20 or 30-year-old 30 something, they're putting in up to their match, it seems. But beyond that, they might be allocating their resources elsewhere. And so knowing how powerful your dollars are, especially in the beginning, 
I would say, you know, as much as you can try to get closer to that 15, 20%. And don't forget your employer match can help you get that. So if you're putting in 7% and your employer is putting in another three or 4%, you're, you're almost there to 15%. But again, as much as you can, as early as you can, is sort of the mantra. Yeah, it's really helpful to break down the math for us because it's clear based on that math, it really has a big impact to save early. And there's really a big cumulative impact of budgeting, even just small amounts and small changes that you can make um, can really have a big impact down the road. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes me, as a current PGY2, I guess want to get even more clarity with respect to the positions that some new graduates might find themselves in. So Bhavik, how much then, when we're thinking about things like retirement savings in residency, do you think residents uh, should really be thinking about saving? You know, you should be save, thinking about retirement as early as you start earning money, because right now, the way our retirement system is set up, you know, it's, it's sort of like a three-legged stool. One part is pensions, one part is social security, and one part is your own retirement accounts, like 401ks, 403bs, and IRAs. But if you, if you look at it, pensions are becoming less common now. They might be available in public sector jobs or when you work for a government agency, whether it's state or federal level or local level. But by and large, most, most uh, private employers, don't, they don't really give pensions to new employees. And social security benefits, you know, if you look at the current projections, you know, it's going to become insolvent or there's going to be some issue with it. And so there's a good chance that they're going to have to change how much benefits are given now or uh, at the age that you can start using social security by, you know, 40, 30, 40 years into the future. So long story short is, is that it's more incumbent upon individuals to save for themselves. And so, you know, to sort of help you sort of understand why saving as much as you can, even during residency is, is helpful. Uh, for example, when you're 25, you only, you have to save $381 a month from age 25 to age 65 to have a million dollar nest egg in today's dollars in 2021 dollars. But let's say if you were focusing and you're thinking, you know, as a resident, I'm not making enough money. Uh, I'm, I have other priorities and I want to take care of that. And you're going to kick that can down the road for retirement. And you're going to only kick it for 10 years, right? I'm going to start saving at age 35. From age 35 to 65, to have the same $1 million in today's dollars, you would have to save almost $1,000 a month in 30 years instead of $381 a month for over 40 years. And so if you look at both end of these scenarios, the one who started saving at age 25 over their lifetime, they would only have to have saved $183,000 to get to a million dollars. So the rest of that is all growth. But that individual who waited until age 35, not only do they have to save more per month, but they are going to have to save more overall. They're going to have to save almost $360,000 of their own money to get to a million dollars. So they're, they're over their lifetime, they would have to save double the amount of money to have the same amount at the end. And so that this hopefully helps understand the benefits of starting as early as you can. And this is something that I, I, I wish I had known in my 20s and I could have taken more advantage of, of the retirement savings vehicles that we, you know, we have available to us. Wow. Yeah. And so it sounds like even if, you know, social security benefits 
are not adjusted in a way that could change the amount that individuals receive relative to their base needs at retirement, what someone should really consider focus and, and putting focus on independent retirement savings, especially if their goal is to replace their salary upon retirement. And based on that sort of calculation scenario that you've shared, it seems like this focus is best extended into residency if possible. So now that we have some more information on when and how much to start saving, I'd be interested in hearing more information on the different options out there for retirement savings. Bavik, is it something you can go into, uh, for example, what the options are and the different pros and cons to each? Yeah, this was something that I struggled with when I was uh, in my 20s, because it's very easy to get lost in the jargon and it's sort of like hard to navigate it. And, you know, I didn't really have a lot of direction from my parents because they didn't, they, they were not in a position to take advantage of these opportunities themselves. 401k, 403b, these are employer-provided retirement vehicles. 401k is provided by a for-profit organization, while 403b is provided by a non-profit organization. But they're otherwise very uh, similar. They have a lot of protection built in. So, you know, in case of like you get sued or something, those that those monies that are inside these accounts are uh, are protected. 401ks and 403bs, they could be traditional or Roth, which we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, aside from employer-based vehicles, you could also have your own individual retirement accounts. These are known as IRAs. And IRAs can also be traditional and Roth type. Uh, and you could open up your own IRA from any sort of uh, firm like Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab or you know a myriad of other ones to choose from. I personally have mine uh, through Vanguard. But with traditional, the difference between traditional and Roth, they, traditional, these are known as tax-deferred accounts. So whether it's a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k or traditional 403b, this is where in the year that you've put in money into it and save, you will save on federal income taxes in the year that you contribute. So you don't have to pay income taxes in that year. It, it gets de deducted out of your W-2. What happens is that when you take the money out in the future, uh, you will pay what is known as ordinary income taxes on that money. So over the, the decades, I, you can let it grow tax deferred. So you don't have to pay any taxes as it grows, but you, all, you do pay taxes out when you take it out in the future. Who knows what tax rates are going to be in the future, but generally folks would think usually in retirement, they might be in a lower tax bracket. And so that's the savings there for a traditional IRA. This, this is also tax deferred. You may be able to get a tax deduction depending on your income level. But usually, I would say a, a pharmacist who's making full pharmacist salary, generally, you're going to be unable to take that deduction if you contribute into a traditional IRA. This is different from what are known as Roth accounts. Roth accounts, these are basically you put in money post-tax. In the year that you put in money, it's post-tax. So it's you already paid income taxes out of it on it. It's the money that is in your net pay that is out of your uh, checking account. So these are known as post-tax contributions. But the nice thing about Roth is that it can grow tax-free. And then it can, you, when you take the money out in retirement, it is also tax-free. So it's a very powerful tool. With Roth IRAs, it's the same idea. You put in post-tax dollars. Um, your ability to put in money directly into a Roth IRA is subject to income limits. And I would say for most pharmacists, um, depending on uh, 
salary, and more, more than likely, you're going to be unable to directly contribute into a Roth IRA. So for high-income individuals or households, you could do what's known as a backdoor Roth. Uh, I don't know if anyone in the audience has heard about that. I, I don't know if either of you have heard about that uh, before, but this is a legal strategy where you could put in a, you can put in money into a traditional IRA account because there's no income limits for someone who can put in traditional IRA money into it. And then you convert that contribution into a Roth IRA. You know, what you have to do is every year that you do this conversion, this backdoor Roth, you have to file when you do your taxes, a form known as 8606. There are a couple of caveats to this. Uh, there's, a, there's what's known as a pro rata rule, which can have implications on taxes. If you have a balance in your traditional IRAs or any uh, simple IRAs or just traditional IRAs or, or what have you. So I would say if you're thinking about doing a backdoor Roth, definitely check out, check with your accountant or tax or financial advisor for tailored advice because, you know, or do your own research about it. But this is something that I wish I had known earlier about. I learned about it in 2016 and I've been doing it ever since. My wife and I, we do this uh, every year now. We do a backdoor Roth. And so there's a lot of tons of resources online of, of exactly what it is and how to do it and what it looks like when you do the file taxes and 86 or six. So I would encourage the listeners to, to, if you're going to think about doing this, you know, check out those resources, but you know, that's a general overview of the different retirement vehicles that are, are made available. Thanks, Avik, for breaking down the differences in between the accounts. It's very helpful. This is a follow-up question. Uh, given the multitude of options available for financial savings, would you be able to share some possible strategies to maximize one's retirement savings based on those types of accounts that you mentioned? Yes. Yeah, so earlier we said, you know, you want to save at up to 15%, maybe even up to 25% of your gross income. And if you look at where you're going to put this money, realizing your 401k or 403b, if you're less than the age of 50 and for 2021, you're able to put in 19,500 per year. If you're above age 50, you, you get a, a, what's known as a catch-up contribution. So you could get an, an additional 6,500 on top of that. So for a total of 26,000. With IRAs, you have a $6,000 limit per year. And then if you're above 50, you get an, an additional 1,000 for a total of 7,000 limit per year. And what's nice about these limits is that they're, they're separate and they're stackable. So you could, you could do 19,500 into your 401k or 403b, as well as a separate 6,000 into your IRA. And so if you're age less than 50, and so this is what I do annually, my wife and I, we, we max out our 403b contributions. And then we do a backdoor Roth, each of us at 6,000 a piece. And it's just a way to be as aggressive in saving as possible. And what's nice is that you don't need to max out one account type before you move on to the other. And so a good strategy might be to do your 401k or 403b contribution up to your employer match, and then shift your money into your Roth IRA to its max. Uh, and this might be a good idea, especially if you're young because you will have 40 years of tax-free growth, which is incredible. Having that $1 become $15, 15 tax-free dollars is way more beneficial than $1 becoming $15 that is going to be subject to future income taxes. And so up to the match of into your 401k, then max out your Roth. And then if you still want to save more, then you go back to your 401k or 403b up to its match. So you can sort of toggle back and forth between these two. 
And especially depending on year to year, if your income level changes and you know you might want to prefer one over the other. So if you're in a low income year and you're going to be in a lower tax bracket, then you know the Roth makes even that much more sense. Wow. And so based on those strategies, might there be different utilities for using different sorts of savings accounts at various stages in one's career? Yeah. So I mentioned prioritizing Roths as early as you can would be a really good idea. So you get that multi-decade year of tax-free growth uh, with that compounding effect. It's just, it's going to be amazing. And again, it, as your income changes year to year, you, that might, you might want to strategize putting in money into your traditional account. So like if you're a situation where you might want to also may want to preferentially put money into a traditional account, whether it's your traditional 401k or 403b, is if you want to lower your taxable income below a certain threshold. So you could get access to other types of income tax credits or other types of savings. Or if you're on, if you have ACA subsidies, for example, um, you know, there's different strategies. And again, having an accountant, asking an accountant or your financial advisor might be a good idea to help you create a plan that's very specific to your needs, to your situation and your family needs might be a, a good strategy. Ideally, when you get into retirement, what you want to have is you want to have different types of accounts so that when you take money out, you can then control your tax situation. So you can lower your tax bill. So ideally you want to, over the, your career, you want to have, uh, by the time you hit retirement, whatever at point you do, you want to have money in a tax deferred account, like a traditional 401k, traditional 403b. You also want to have money in a Roth account. You may also consider having money in a taxable brokerage account. So, the, you know, each of them has its own pluses and minuses. It sounds like there's a lot to keep in mind, uh, definitely throughout your career. So this is all great information for us to have. Um, our next question actually ties back into the topic of our first podcast. We know many new practitioners also have to budget for paying off student loans. I know we discussed the value of saving as early as possible in general, but what about those of us who also are trying to balance a student loan burden. Is it better to put the money towards those instead? That's really a common question. It's something that I personally struggled with too. Like what's the best use of my money when I was in my 20, late 20s paying off my loans? And the answer is you should do both because doing both is going to increase your net worth. You're either paying down debt or you're building your assets. You're increasing your net worth. So there is never... If you're doing either of those, you're moving in the right direction. If you're doing both, you're definitely moving in the right direction. So what I would say is like definitely put in money towards to getting that free match. Then you can focus on your student loans. There's a more nuanced discussion here that, you know, it depends on what your interest rates are for your student loans versus what you can project to earn on your long-term investment growth. And you want to consider, you know, if your student loans are like three or 4% and you can project to have six, seven, eight percent growth in retirement accounts, then that might help you sort of steer where you should put your next dollar. But you know, you want to do both. Another consideration to have is, you know, if you're considered from our episode one, is if you're pursuing public service loan forgiveness and you have income-driven repayment plans, you know, you can lower your monthly income-driven payment plan by putting in more money into a traditional 401k or 403B. So not only are you saving for yourself, but you're also going to have a lower monthly required payment towards your student loans because your income-driven repayment plan is going to be based off what's known as your adjusted gross income on your tax return. 
And the way you lower your adjusted gross income is by putting in more money into tax deferred accounts, like for traditional uh, 401ks, 403bs. So you could, you could win on both ends by doing that. Yeah, it sounds like doing your due diligence to optimize your individual financial picture is something that, based on what you have said, Bob, that can be so useful, so productive, and making sure to factor in someone's entire repayment strategy does sound like it will help find that balance in a way that sets people up for success in the best possible way. Although we all know that things happen. So, you know, let's say I put money towards my retirement account and then have, for example, an emergency where I might need to take some of that money back out. Uh, would that early use be possible? Yeah, before I answer that question, I just want to emphasize what we we're talking about student loans. And we talked about this in episode one, but I think it's a good idea to bring it up here again, is if you're going to pursue public service loan forgiveness, don't pay more than you have to in your monthly payment. So if, you, if you're thinking about putting in extra principal payments towards your student loans and your intent is to pursue public service loan forgiveness, that's not the best strategy because you want to have the most forgiven with the least out of pocket. So that might be something that, you know, you should consider as you're sort of drafting your student loan payment plan, as well as your retirement savings plan. But to answer your question about getting early access to retirement funds, you, you can, um, but generally, you know, you want to keep your money in retirement accounts so that it can grow and hit that critical mass where that exponential growth happens, where there's going to come in time where it, your account grows more as the market is growing more than what you are able to contribute. Uh, and when you hit that exponential growth, it's amazing to see how quickly things, the account can grow. So generally, you don't want to take that money out because you don't want to delay your timeline as to when you hit that critical mass. But you can access funds inside a 401k, 403b, or IRA, but sometimes th there's some restrictions on that. So if you have an early access, you will have a penalty. If you do it for a an unqualified reason. So if you take it out before the age of 59 and a half, not only do you have to pay ordinary taxes when you take out money out of a traditional account, you also have to pay another penalty of 10% on top of that. For Roth accounts, you could take out more money early too, but you would have to pay tax on, on growth. And so, you know, especially if you take it out too early, there's a, a five-year clock on Roth accounts. Nice thing about Roth accounts is that, you know, you could, whatever contributions you put in, whatever principle that you put in can be taken out taxed and penalty free at any time for any reason. But if, if you're going to be an individual who's doing backdoor Roths, like my wife and I, conversions have their own five-year clock. So they become restricted. They need to sort of cure, for lack of a better word, for at least five years before you get access to those funds. You know, to your question about like an emergency happens or life happens, well, what do you do? What I would say is you should save for that. Uh, but if you do need to access your funds out inside your retirement account, you can do it without penalty. There's some exceptions to it. So what are known as qualified reasons, like buying your first home. But again, the idea is to don't take money out. Let it sit there, let it grow. And so if you have other goals, save for them separately. If you have a down payment for a house that you want to save for, save for that in a high yield savings account. Um, if you are worried about emergencies, you know, I, save for that separately, you know, having three to six or, you know, potentially up to 12 months of expenses saved up. So generally what you want to do is just contribute the money, let compounding work to your advantage and just contribute and forget it and just keep doing that every year. Even though it's not ideal, it is definitely reassuring to know that there is a safety net if we need it. 
For our final question, Bhavik, I know that many of us tend to be very goal-driven or encouraged by milestones. For those of us who like to set and reach goals, do you have any suggestions on how to gauge your progress in retirement savings along the way? Yeah, there's a lot of resources that are available with milestones uh, and suggestion milestones at different ages as you sort of age up to age 65 or age 67 or whenever you want to retire. It gives you an idea if you're on track, if you're ahead of schedule, if you're behind schedule. But these milestones are just a, a status check. Uh, I would say don't get discouraged if you're behind. I would say a lot of be motivation and try to save more. For an average pharmacy practitioner, you, you might have had a late start in the game in terms of earning money. And plus, you have a higher than average student loan debt compared to like, you know, someone who, who had a bachelor's degree. So you're starting a little bit later and you're starting a little bit deeper in the hole. So, you know, when you see these milestones, it's easy to get discouraged, but don't let that discourage. You have a big shovel to help you grow. And so, for example, like Fidelity has milestones, suggested milestones. So by age 30, they suggest that you have at least one times your salary saved in your retirement accounts. So if you make up at age 30, if you have a, if you make $130,000, you should have a uh, per year at age 30, then you should have $130,000 saved in your retirement account across all your accounts. Uh, at age 35, you should have double your salary at, at age 35. At age 40, you should have three times your salary. At age uh, 45, you should have four times. At age 50, five times your salary. At age 55, six times. 67 times and 65, eight times, if not higher. You know, if you look at different resources, they might have different milestone cutoffs. And depending on if you're a higher income as a household, your more of your income is going to come from your own resources rather than social security, because social security is only going to contribute a, that much smaller percentage of your overall in income in retirement. Your milestones might be a little bit higher. Thank you so much, Bavik. Uh, that is all the time that we have for today. We definitely appreciate you sharing your experiences and all of this awesome and helpful information about your thoughts pertaining to retirement savings and how that can connect to someone's financial wellness. Um, I'm also, just like with the first episode, very excited to share this information with my new practitioners colleagues, as well as any, any pharmacist that I interact with that might be able to, to benefit from this information. So thank you again so much. Thanks, Joe and Bavik. I just also want to thank the audience for tuning in today. I also encourage you guys to keep an eye out for a future podcast. Um, we'll be talking about other topics within financial wellness that is be, will be decided by you, the audience. In addition, I encourage you all to listen to other Wellness Wednesday podcasts by ASAP Official and subscribe on Spotify for notifications for future recordings. Thanks again, Joe and Bavik. I look forward to our future conversations about financial wealth. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.